we live, I think, in a time where we're so used to being able to, we have everything at our control, right? Like you click on you know, something on Amazon and it's there in three days. You have control over so many things nowadays. And truly, when I say this, it's like, it's the one time in your life where baby is in full, full control. So it's really hard. And that's something to explain to parents where we say, well, you know, we can predict maybe let's say baby needs to eat a little bit and we need to work on a little respiratory support. You're looking at maybe a couple of days up to a week. So we try to be very, you know, realistic in terms of like, this is what we think, but truly baby's in the driver's seat. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the knowledge and confidence you need to erase the unknowns of pregnancy and birth and rock the newborn days like a boss. My name is Liesl Team. I'm a fellow mom, labor and delivery nurse, and your host. Each week on this podcast, you'll hear a mix of birth stories, expert interviews, and other fun pregnancy and birth-related content. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now let's get into this week's episode. This week on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, I had my friend and fellow Instagram nurse and educator, Tori Meskin, come onto the show to talk to us about the NICU. Tori, as you can probably guess, is a NICU nurse, and she's also a blogger and a podcaster over at the Selfie Podcast, which I've been on such a great podcast. (laughs) Today on the show, Tori shared her insights into what it's like to be a NICU nurse, the most common reasons babies are admitted to the NICU, what the deal is with visiting babies in the NICU, all about kangaroo care, feeding your NICU baby, and so much more. This has been a highly requested topic, and I'm absolutely thrilled that Tori could be the one to come and talk about all things NICU. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Are you a mama that already knows you want an epidural? Did you know that childbirth education is still super important to a more confident and powerful birth? It's true. Here at MLN, we know that every mama can benefit from a birth class tailored to their needs, which is why Birth It Up, the epidural series was born. Learn more about how to get educated and totally prepared for your epidural birth at mommylabornurse.com slash epidural birth. Hi, Tori. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today with me. Hello, Miss Liesl. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm Woo-hoo! so flattered. <laughs> We're both podcasters, so this is going to be a very podcasty episode, right? I know. I love this for us. It's always so fun to podcast with a podcaster. I know. Totally. Know. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. I love okay. this. So Tori, tell me who you are, what you do, all your stuff, what your podcast is, what your Instagram is, and what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, all the things. Well, hello, and thank you for having me on your amazing community here today. So my name is Tori Meskin. I have been a NICU nurse for the past nine years. I live here in California, and I work in the greater Los Angeles area. I obtained my bachelor's of science at U of A, so any of my U of A people bear down. (laughs) And so I've worked uh, full-time bedside as a NICU nurse for the past nine years. I've also worked as a travel nurse, and also I dabbled in pediatric critical care, working in PICU, CVICU, oncology, and whatnot. So currently, I am working night shift and day shift. I do a little bit of both. I know it's a little crazy. And then I'm also pursuing my master's in leadership currently in nursing. And I would say about four years into my nursing career is when I started my blog, which started initially as a lifestyle blog. And then I attended actually randomly a scrub shoot for all heart nursing. And there was a couple people there who were starting to dabble in the nurse influencer space, if you will. And this was back in 2018, I believe. And they said, you know, you should really start talking about NICU things and, you know, start sharing your experiences as a NICU nurse. So I did. And, you know, I started getting a lot of outpouring questions from people, both nurses trying to, or people trying to become a NICU nurse or people who were 
currently in the NICU space or even parents starting to ask questions. So I expanded the blog. And then, so I would say Instagram started kind of taking off and, you know, I was starting to have a little bit of momentum there. And then back in 2019, I came up with this crazy idea to start a podcast, Yeah, which is, (laughs) we love this for us. And for this, I kind of wanted to do something that was more medical based, like less, not just NICU, but also a lot of other specialties and kind of what you're doing here, right? So I started, it's called The Selfie Show in March of 2020, right at the hit of the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Really? You know what was crazy? It was such a great experience. And I had a lot of, at the time, a lot of great perspective from providers, but in general, our show is much more, it's fun. It's lighthearted. I have a co-host, Sam, who she's a flight nurse who we had worked together for nine years. And so anyway, we started this podcast and we cover all kinds of topics, anything from someone who's a nurse practitioner to DOs, to specialties, surgeons. Cool. And then we do some spicy topics. We get into sex, we get into finance, we get into cool. just like a lot of different topics. So yeah. And then I've of course been a long time, I would say Instagram friend of yours. I've just yeah. loved watching your journey. And yeah, I've been there journey. about as long as you have maybe I'm a little bit shy because I, I was trying to think when I, I think it was You've 2018. You've been in a little bit longer. Yeah. 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 I was like, it was about the same time that we kind of like got yeah. hooked up that we were both kind of starting, but yeah. Well, how exciting. Yeah. Okay. Wait, I need to ask when you started your podcast right at the peak of the pandemic, do you feel like that helped because you had like more time or do yeah. you feel like it was not so great? So I had batched quite a few episodes prior. So like I'm talking like November, December, okay, January, right? And as things started to progress, I would say what changed or maybe the dynamic that helped the podcast was that people were home. Uh, and I think yeah. that people were really wanting this kind of content. And so yeah. from my end, you know, working in the pandemic and never stopped. So it's interesting dynamic because I feel like, you know, I never stopped going to the hospital. If anything, it was more needed at that time yeah. than ever in different ways. So yeah, it was definitely an interesting dynamic to the start. And yeah, it's just been a crazy journey. Ever yeah. Since. So, yeah. yeah. How fun. How fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, today we are going to be talking all about NICU because I get a lot of questions and I, I'm sure you agree because I've been on your podcast talking about L&D stuff and like we work well together. Like we love right. each other. We're buddies, but like we don't know anything about the other person. 100%. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So yes. we're going to be talking about NICU stuff because I get NICU questions like, what is my NICU stay going to be like? You know, that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I have no idea. I just totally. kind of say bye to you when you guys yeah. go to the NICU and like wish you luck and love yeah. and all that. So we're going to be talking sure. about NICU stuff today. So I would love for you to kind of start off with a day in the life of what a typical shift maybe is about like you clock in and what happens? Yeah. So I think one of the things that largely depends on that is actually the NICU that you work in. So Ah. whether it's a level one all the way to a level four. So a quick little breakdown about that level one being more your nursery levels typically, and then all the way up to level four NICUs, which are in your children's hospitals, university hospitals, consult centers, where you're providing things like ECMO, body cooling. They have in-house surgeons, in-house consultations. So the day in the life of a NICU nurse really varies based on location in terms of what I would typically see, right? So you clock in, typically our patient loads are one-to-ones, two-to-ones or three-to-ones here in California. So meaning one nurse, one patient or two patients to one nurse or three patients to one nurse. It does vary state to state. So some states will take more Mm. babies. So that's definitely, it's sort of just dependent on location geographically. So we would grab reports and then essentially you start with anything from starting with your assessment. If you have any labs, if you need to do any feedings, it's vital signs. We're doing admissions. We're doing discharges, surgeries, pre-op, post-op, you know, and the higher level NICUs, we would be managing trachs and ostomies. It could be anything from teaching a dad a diaper change and a bath all the way to, you know, doing life-saving procedures. 
So the day in the life of what we do is very different day to day, you know, and then typically our babies, what I think is a little more unique in the NICU setting versus other nurse settings, it's very regimented. I think that's something that's very different. We are very much on schedules and we have scheduled, for example, care times where you're doing your assessment and your diaper change and your your blood pressures, your temperatures, your feedings and things like that. So that's, you know, the, usually the goal, but oftentimes babies throw you for a loop, you know, whether something's happening mid shift and there's a change in clinical status, you're doing diagnostics, you're helping with central line placements. If a baby needs to be intubated, you're grabbing everything for the intubation and assisting the attending or the nurse practitioner, whoever may be that's doing that with you. So the day in the life of a NICU nurse is, it varies and it's so fun. It's definitely, it's fast paced, but then there's also shifts where you just have, you know, your PO feeding or just feeding a baby by bottle or helping mom with breastfeeding and trying to get them discharged home. So all the way to something where you're adrenaline rush and you're rushing to delivery to help the L&D nurses such as yourself. Yeah, so, that's yeah. where we cross paths sometimes. And sometimes I will come over to the NICU and bring a mom, you know, who was on mag or something and we spend time in the NICU. But yeah, we pretty much see my hospital. We have a team that comes, you know, to deliveries and they, I think they, they're like staff nurses in the NICU, but then they kind of cross train as the resuscitation team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we call those for ours code white nurses. Yeah, so oh, we'll go okay. in. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha, yep. gotcha. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's where I typically cross paths with a NICU nurse unless I'm taking a mom over. So yeah. let's talk about like some of the most common things that you see in the NICU. I know there's so many various, obviously, right. reasons that your baby might need to go to NICU, but what are some of like the most common things that you see? Yeah, I would say the most common is would be a respiratory distress of some sort. So For the listeners, the last organ or the last thing to develop in utero are the lungs. Yeah. So typically, and I know you probably see this too, you know, in terms of when baby's born, you know, the transition process can sometimes be a little, you know, they may need a little time. So meaning if a baby's having a little respiratory distress, RDS or TTN is what we call that. That would be a pretty common admission as well as jaundice, primarily due to dehydration from breastfeeding. So it could be a baby who's maybe a little on the premature side, maybe 35 or 36 weeks, all the way up to post-term. A lot of times those age ranges, we tend to see a little bit of delay in the breastfeeding startup. And so babies, sometimes it could be a lack of just supply coming in, which is very common. And then we're supporting baby through that process. We're drawing some labs, we're giving them some IV fluids and supporting them prematurity. So any baby born prior to 37 weeks. So in terms of numbers, one in about 10 babies is born prematurely. And oftentimes we do see those babies with us. Apnea of prematurity, which is something when babies would just apnea is essentially when babies stop breathing or just don't have quite the, it has something to do with the development of, I want to say it's a hippocampus or something where they're a little Mm -hmm. bit on the premature side Mm -hmm. and they just need a little support. So whether that's with respiratory support, possibly caffeine, we do give caffeine to our babies. I remember the first time I heard that and I was like, wait, what? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You're like, wait a minute. We're telling all these moms to restrict your caffeine here. Yeah. 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 So we do, we treat with caffeine, you know, infection is another one. So a rule out infection. So if baby is either having low temperatures, typically actually low temperatures are more an indication of temperature than even high temperature. So we would treat with antibiotics, you know, so there's just, you know, such an array in terms of even I would say more the well baby side of the NICU, yeah, you know, and then it kind of goes on from there in terms of like more premature. So our extremely low birth weight babies, our extreme prematurity, congenital heart diseases, or maybe a heart defect of some sort. So yeah, yeah. The array is, is pretty large. I would say mostly respiratory rule out sepsis and jaundice are probably like the top most common. Interesting. Cause I would have thought premature baby, like 
preemies, right. you know, because right. we send them all there. But no, that's yeah. that's very interesting that, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess we do send a fair amount of those babies over there too. So yeah, they probably sure. make up a lot. Yeah. I mean, and I would say in terms of prematurity, you know, this is, it's one in 10, which is yeah, a lot, a lot. You know, yeah. it's a lot. So, yeah. and it just kind of depends on baby's course, you know, but yeah, it is interesting. It's those tend to be the highest, highest yeah. diagnosis that we see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, really that makes sense. So let's talk about, obviously when your baby gets admitted to the NICU, probably one of the first questions that you're asking is like, when can my baby get yeah. out of the NICU? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Right>? That is... <laughs> So that's the number one question. Yeah. Let's answer that question. And I know that typically when your baby is premature, most providers will say it's usually by their due date, you know, like plus or minus a few weeks. Yes. But can you give kind of a more, is that really the only hard and fast rule that they go by? Obviously if they're there for something else like infection or something, it's dependent on something entirely different, but can you kind of go over you know, that question, if mom's asking, when can my baby even go home? Right. Yeah. And that's sort of, it's so funny because that's sort of the moment where we live, I think in a time where we're so used to being able to, we have everything at our control, right? Like you click on, you know, something on Amazon and it's there in three days, you have control over so many things nowadays. And truly, when I say this, it's like, it's the one time in your life where baby is in full, full control. So it's really hard. And that's something to explain to parents where we say, well, you know, we can predict maybe let's say baby needs to eat a little bit and we need to work on a little respiratory support. You're looking at maybe a couple of days up to a week. So we try to be very, you know, realistic in terms of like, this is what we think, but truly babies in the driver's seat. So in terms of discharge and, you know, when babies can be discharged home, the things that we really look at would be, can baby breathe on their own? Are they gaining weight appropriately? Are they able to regulate their temperature and stay warm without the isolate? Okay. And then typically by guidelines, they need to be at least four pounds. And that has to do with more the car seat, the regulations as well. So those are some sort of kind of guidelines, you know, and of course that's very loose in NICU terms because that's, you know, the standard, but we see an array of different things in the NICU. So every baby's discharge goals are, are different. But yeah, that, those are sort of the the guidelines, but it is really hard because it's one of those things where, you know, you just realize that you don't have full control of this and it's really hard. I think that's something that it's so hard to, you know, be a provider and to really try and support someone through this time where this is potentially one of the hardest things that a parent will ever go through. Yeah. And there's so many things that you can control. And then there's a lot of things that we can't control. You know, it's really based on the baby and what they're able to do. And so for me, it's a lot of empowering parents, right? So it's a lot of, okay, welcome to the NICU and explaining things like, here's the monitor. This is what each vital sign means going through the isolate and explaining what everything that we're doing in terms of what's this button? What does this do? Why are we doing this? Supporting mom with lactation and making sure that she's feeling that she has enough support for whatever the case may be. If they're pumping, if we're going to start breastfeeding potentially down the line, just really trying to empower with a lot of education and a lot of support, because that is the number one question that we get. That's the first question that we get basically on admission, Yeah, typically from the dad or whoever the parent may be, because mom's typically over an L and D with you. And yeah. yeah, so we'll take baby back to the unit, get settled and then, you know, kind of start the process of figuring out the game plan, right? Like, okay, do we need to draw labs? Are we monitoring for an infection? Are we monitoring for respiratory support and monitoring their labs? you know, what are the goals for baby? And that's definitely something that we do right away in terms of, okay, what is our goal for discharge? Like, what are the things that we really need to hit before baby can safely go home and then sort of give that plan to the parents accordingly. So yeah, it does vary, very widely, anything from a couple of days all the way to months. It just kind of depends on the situation. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. 
So what about babies who maybe they're coming home on some medical equipment? Like if they right. have a G-tube or they, if they have a trach or they have, right. they have to come home on oxygen. A lot of babies who are born really, really premature, I know, have to do that. Because obviously that's different than some of the discharge requirements that you mentioned. So like, mm-hmm. well, you know, a baby who's on oxygen can't breathe on their own. So right. like, how right. do you coordinate those kind of discharges? <laughs> Right. It's, you know, I think in those situations, I will say this like right up top. Typically when parents are going home with these kinds of situations, they've been in the hospital for an extended period of time. Yeah. So usually I will say this, most parents, by the time you're in that area of discharge, they already know way more than the average bear. I mean, I would say, you know, by then they're doing the trach changes by themselves. They're changing the cannula. They're the ones initiating a lot of things. In the case that that would be, typically the babies are at a level four NICU where, you know, you have a lot of support. So there may be a trach nurse who comes in to have you demonstrate and re-demonstrate what a trach change looks like. You would be doing a lot of coordination with the outpatient provider. So maybe a pulmonologist who you're Mm -hmm. going to be touching base with, you know, figuring out when your appointments are. There's a lot of communication with that. With the G-tube situation, most parents, by the time you go home, it's actually a very easy process. G-tubes are a lot less scary than, it's really interesting because most parents, by the time they're like, oh, I got this, like, I'm good, you know? Mm -hmm. So typically it does involve a lot of education. However, I'll say usually by the time parents get to that point, they're very well versed. And I will say a lot of it is coordination from the outside. So the outside providers who are providing equipment, supporting parents, a lot of times the doctors who round with the baby outpatient clinic have already touched base with the patient. So it does involve a lot of education, reinforcement, you know, and I try and do a lot of scenarios with these parents too on like, okay, like let's pretend you're going to target. Like, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like how logistically, what do you feel like you need and just kind of like picture it. So that way you can kind of figure out your, how, you know, things will work for you or maybe not work for you. But typically I will say most of those situations, parents are very well versed in the education. So that makes sense. Like you think as someone who's so far removed, like I obviously haven't had a baby who's been in the NICU or had, you know, oxygen or any of these sort of things. You're like, that seems so overwhelming, but you're right. you're right. They've been, you know, doing the care typically in the hospital. Yeah. It's been a process. So it's obviously still overwhelming in a sense, but oh yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like something sure. that is like a gradual kind of, okay, we know we're moving towards this. Yes. Yeah. It is a gradual process and we do, you know, all the places that I have worked where mo- those can be the cases. Typically it is, it's a gradual process and we really try and do a good job of doing our education and supporting parents and figuring out, you know, logistics, doing a lot of coordinating. So yeah, I would say that's a really unique aspect, especially for the patients that are going home in those situations. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, let's talk about visitor restrictions mm. and if there are any and how like that even works. And also I want to yeah. know, I've heard this, at least my hospital sometimes provides this where sometimes people can stay in the NICU or they like provide places where parents can stay. Right. So that it's really interesting. It varies very much NICU to NICU. I will say that I've worked in so many different NICUs. So the situations are very different. So for example, some NICUs are private rooms where that would be possible. You know, they potentially have a rollout bed or they have, you know, one of the chairs that can roll out to a bed. So someone can sleep at the bedside all the way to NICUs where they're in pod situations. So there would be potentially four to six to eight babies in one room. So it's not as easy for those kinds of situations in terms of parents staying directly at the bedside. A lot of hospitals are supportive of the Ronald McDonald's Foundation, and that is where the hospital will provide a place for parents to stay. And that's all provided through the nonprofit organization, Ronald McDonald. And 
they would have, it depends on sort of the situation. Sometimes the Ronald McDonald is located in the hospital. So they have, you know, potentially some rooms where parents can sleep for the night or they have a shower. And then sometimes it would be at a nearby facility building, you know, down the street where parents can stay. And then in terms of restrictions, most NICUs will allow one to two people at the bedside, meaning, Mm -hmm. and typically it is the parents, whoever the parents may be. Right now, COVID has been a little crazy. I will admit to that. It's been challenging. Yeah. It's been really tough. So some NICUs would only allow one parent at the bedside at a time just for safety and infection reasons. Some now are starting to lift that and allowing two parents at the bedside at the moment, most NICUs that I have experienced are not allowing siblings into the unit just for infection control. Yeah. Kids are germy. Yeah. It's, it's hard, but yeah, that tends to be the case right now. Some places. So for example, if mom and dad or the parents are not together and mom has another support person, they will definitely allow the support person as the designated person. So, you know, I think most NICUs in my experience are very, you know, they try to do as much as they can to offer that kind of support, because that's obviously something that we know both baby and mom need. Yeah, no, totally, totally. All right, the sound of that baby crying means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. This one says, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for this page, your business, and all of your knowledge. Oh, one week ago today, I had my scheduled C-section. Baby was breech, and your class was amazing. I felt so calm, knowledgeable, and ready to take on the OR. Amazing. It was a surreal experience, and knowing what was happening throughout the process was incredible and made me feel calm and helped me and my husband focus on our baby boy and the process we were going through without fear. I just love it. I love that. Your Instagram page has been so wonderful to follow through pregnancy, and I've shared it with many of my newly pregnant friends too. Oh, thank you. That is so sweet. All right. If you want to check out the course that this mama took, I think she did the C-section series. She might've taken the epidural series and switched though. That's another thing you can always, if you are enrolled in one class and then you find out your baby's breech like this mom did, and you're like, wait a second, I'm having a C-section and I know I'm having a C-section. We have birthed up the C-section series and you just send us an email and we can switch you into the C-section series. No big deal. But in the epidural series, we also go over what to expect in case you have like an unexpected C-section during labor. But just a heads up, you know, if for some reason you have a similar situation to this gal, know that you can't always switch classes. All right. If you want to check out any either course, the epidural series or the C-section series, just head over to mommylibernurse.com and click on the course that you want. All right. Let's get right back into this week's episode. All right. Well, let's talk about a term called kangaroo care and Mm. tell me what that even is and why it is so great. Yes. We love (laughs) kangaroo care. So the term is essentially for skin to skin or for us in the NICU. It can mean a little bit more in depth in terms of sometimes we're working around things like a baby who is on respiratory support and things like that. So Kangaroo care is definitely one of the things we try to do skin to skin as often as we possibly can, but sometimes it's not always possible. And I really do want to say this because I know there are potentially some NICU moms who are out there. I just want to send my most love to all the NICU moms because these are the moms who so badly wanted to do it right away and wanted to do the skin to skin and kangaroo care. And unfortunately, just due to the baby's, you know, change in status, they weren't able to, and that's okay. You know, we do a lot of things to try and really help that transition process. So, you know, whether it's hand hugs, you know, we'll have parents come in and doing touching, we'll give them scent cloths. You know, we do a lot of things to try and help aid that process. But so kangaroo care, we will initiate when it's safe for baby, you know, when they're respiratory status is safe enough to do or whatever the situation may be. Maybe it's 
after surgery, maybe it's right before surgery, you know, it just kind of depends on the situation, but yeah. So in terms of the amazingness of it, it's definitely something that helps regulate body temperature, baby's temperature. There's been a lot of really interesting, I know you probably know this, Lisa, like the amount of data and evidence out there in terms of how wonderful it can be. Skin to skin is amazing. And there's so much transference of, you know, even like the microbiome and like how babies regulate. And it's, you know, like, it's interesting because when you put baby on mom for the first time, you can just see how calm they get, even babies who are intubated. And we will do skin to skin and kangaroo care with moms who have babies who are intubated. And it is amazing how well babies will do. Not every baby, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just really interesting. But in the NICU, it is something I will say it's an interesting, touchy subject because, you know, there is obviously a really big push for it. And, you know, we want to initiate everything as soon as we can, but a lot of moms and babies are able to right away and that's okay too. And, you know, we do everything we can in our power to make it happen when it can. And it's such a wonderful, beautiful process. And we try to make it as special as we can, especially for the first time. It's really exciting, you know, so it's even more special. Yeah. And not just mom can do kangaroo care, right? Like you can have dad or partner, whoever. Absolutely. I mean, that's also, it's so interesting because, you know, typically in those cases, you know, babies used to hearing your voice. There's a lot of evidence-based research on microbiome and the, even like the smell, there's a lot of different things that are really, really fascinating about this. And like, even for example, there have been studies on when nurses, we at the bedside will be on one side of the bed doing care times. And then if a parent's on the other side and the baby hears or smells them, they'll Mm -hmm. turn their head that way to the parent or yeah, it's really interesting you know, our little babies are extremely smart. And I think it's so interesting because we don't give babies enough credit though. They know they start learning really quick Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, let's talk about pumping and breastfeeding and breast milk and like, how does that even, yeah, the how, and how do you bring in breast milk? And I know, you know, you can't, I guess, touch on as much with like the pumping, like when to start pumping and all of that. But I want to know, yeah, like how, okay, if I'm a NICU mom and I have my baby, maybe I had a preterm baby and I know that my baby's going to be there for a couple months. Yeah. How does that work? Like, do I bring my breast milk in or do I, is there a cooler that I can keep it in or like, how does that even work? So, okay. The first things I will say about this is let's say mom, you have a baby even at 24 or 25 weeks. One of the very first things that we say when you come in is start pumping, Mm -hmm. start pumping right away, because the more you pump or the more consistently, the more your supply will come in. So moms, we will start supporting right away with pumping. So I know when moms are over in L and D oftentimes they're given a pump kit. We have pump kits at the bedside as well in the NICU. So we will have pump kits at the bedside. And then in terms of storing the milk before, because sometimes babies cannot receive the milk right away for whatever the situation may be. Right. Yeah. So we will store it. So parents will start storing even the colostrum, the most itty bitty, teeny tiny little drops. We will save them. Typically they go into the freezer and we save them until we can thaw them and use them for use. I've had, you know, in the array in terms of pumping and breastfeeding, it's it's so variable in the NICU in terms of, you know, sometimes moms are there for a very long time and, you know, you just try to keep your supply up. We always encourage moms no matter what. We try to support it, you know, whether it's having the pumps at the bedside, we're trying to support them in terms of making sure they're getting enough sleep and, you know, having as minimal stress as possible, which is not always, I know the case for the Nikki mamas, but try to keep the stress low to help with the production, you know, and then initiate breastfeeding if, and when we can, that's sort of a, in the NICU Typically, we will initiate bottle feeding as well. Just depends on the situation. Sometimes with babies, we will initiate breastfeeding Mm -hmm. 
you know, right away. Sometimes we will have to start with the bottle and we'll give the breast milk first and then supplement with whatever, if it's donor milk or if it's formula, depending on the baby's diagnosis and their gestation, that has a lot to do with what we can and can't give. Yeah. And then, yeah. So I would say in terms of pumping and things like that, the moms, moms do such a great job. I mean, hats off to all the moms out there, you know, they, most mamas that I know, regardless of whatever the situation will be, whether they have supply or not, will always try and do their best. And I want to say this, like, we also try and support moms in whatever the situation may be. If it's yeah. too stressful and they're unable to, and they just, the supply is not coming in and it's just, you just can't physically even, you know, wrap your head around everything that's going on and yeah. it's just not working. Then we support that too. And we work out, you know, something that works for baby and the plan of care. So, you know, it's a wide range, but we do very much support. I would say nationally, there is a huge support for supporting breastfeeding as well as encouraging at least breast milk. If moms want to pump and they're not interested in breastfeeding, we can do that too and give the milk by bottle. So there's just a lot of different ways that we can go about it. Yeah, that's cool. So two questions. Do you guys typically help with initiating breastfeeding or do you have lactation come in that and do that? Or like, do you cross train in lactation training as well? I will say some NICU nurses do cross train in lactation and really love it. I would say there's a lot of us who don't and we love the lactation consultants who come in and help. Yeah. It depends also on the hospital in terms of how many lactation consultants they have available. So it just sort of depends on the situation. So for example, if the team, if, you know, day shift says, okay, we're going to initiate breastfeeding and no one's available, then we as the NICU nurses definitely will. I would say most NICU nurses really do like having the support of lactation yeah. consultants. It's so for us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely something where you're like, you know, I just know what I'm not the most, you yeah. know, I know my skill set and, you know, yeah. I want to let the professional come in and do it. Right. Right. Yeah. So typically we do like that if we can, if they're available. If not, then we definitely do. So, I do know, you know, a lot of NICU nurses will definitely get certified and get their lactation consultant. So that's amazing too, because I know that it's a great option for us and it's something right up our alley. Yeah. But it is funny because personality wise, like NICU nurses either go one way or the other, like either you love it or you're like, nope, not my thing. Yeah. That's how L&D is too. Like you usually, you think it's that, so funny. and correct me if I'm wrong too, but I get this impression, anything mom and baby related, like postpartum, L&D, NICU, I'm not trying to bash anybody else who's a nurse who's listening, but like sometimes yeah. they think that even NICU, you think NICU is, I mean, mm-hmm. it's ICU at the end. You yes. guys are like, yes. you do some crazy stuff yeah. over there, right? right but right. for some reason, we get this impression that it's like an easier yeah. job, an easier yeah. nursing mm-hmm. job. Yeah. So like we have people come over from med surge or come over from ICU and do L&D or do NICU or do postpartum. And they're like, oh, I do not like this at all. Bye. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so interesting. It is. It's such a different dynamic because I would say, you know, in our world, like it can be very taxing, but in different ways. Yeah. You know, and I agree with you. I also think that we kind of get the rap for me and like lovey-dovey and a lot of us are not (laughs) (laughs) lovey-dovey or we're a little more like, you know, I consider myself more like the NICU coach. Like, you know, when you're sort of, you know, baby needs to buck up a little bit and you got to like tell them what's up and then, okay, we got to start eating. We got to wake up. We got to do these things, you know, totally. and you know, the bond that we get in the NICU in terms of with our parents, I love the parents that just, you know, they see the personality of the baby right away. It's so fun to get to know them with the parents and, you know, you kind of become this like, it's a team, it is true teamwork, but it's just so fun. And, you know, we're not all as, I would say we all love what we do, but I think it's just so funny because I know in L and D I'm sure for you, like it's hard what you do. Like I, yeah, yeah, it is. And (laughs) yeah, for us, it's, you know, it's very regimented and then also very sometimes chaotic at the same time. Because yeah. babies, you know, babies lead. They lead. Babies also 
decline very quickly and very yeah. fast. Oh, yes. In yes, in yes. utero and Absolutely. right after they're born. You know, kids yep. are like that. Like adults, when you're taking care of an adult, you can usually see mm-hmm. if they're going to code. You know, yes, like you can like, totally. okay, we're like kind of going down this path and everything. Yep. But like babies, it's like, whoop. Okay. Yes. All of a sudden that happened and like, okay, <laughs> this is fast. Right. For sure. I mean, it's interesting too, because, and maybe a little bit different than adults, but like our baby's heart rates will literally drop in seconds to, yeah. you know, you'll be in like one fifties down to like sixties and you're borderline doing compressions and literally like less than a minute. It's just, yeah. it's so fast, so rapid. Wow. And then your sats haven't even caught up yet. So it is, it's very rapid. It's very quick you know, in terms of, I really love that aspect. Like I love attending high risk deliveries. I love, you know, it's nerving. It's, it can be a very, any NICU nurse who's been a nurse for a long time will say this, like, you just never know what you're going to get in the delivery, especially when it's a code white or, you know, emergency C-section, you can have like sort of the gist. You just don't know because babies are going to do what they're going to do. And they're going to, you know, they need whatever support they need. But it is, it's very rapid. It's very quick. You have to be on your toes, you know, and also for us in the NICU, we work in micros and mills. So, you know, we have a very low threshold for error. So, mm. you know, you just have to really be on your A game with that, is with a that good as well. Point. That is a yeah. good point. Yeah. Cause like, I know, I remember talking to a NICU nurse a while ago about blood draws and everything. And it's like, you cannot like, you know, when you're drawing an adult's blood, like it's okay if you get a little yeah. bit more or, you know, right. it's like, okay, you get it. Oh, let's yeah. get an extra vial. And it's like, right. no, 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 no. no. <laughs> we got to be very precise about what goes in and what comes out. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even for perspective for us in the NICU, literally a three ml like thing of blood could be a bolus. That is literally what that we is give crazy. sometimes for our micropremies, right? That's a bolus. Like, you know, their whole body is made up of just X amount of fluid. Yeah. So it's just so interesting. Yeah. And it's fluid in the NICU is a very, very, very big, important concept. Yeah. So in terms of blood draws and things that we're doing, Fluid shifts are really, really important in the NICU, especially in the first week of life, especially for our micropremies and our preemies and whatnot. So it's just really interesting how, yeah, you do have, just have to be very attention to detail, you know, and this is, it's something I love, you know, it keeps you on your toes always. So yeah. 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 No, I love it. Yeah. Any last words of advice for maybe there's some NICU moms listening right now who their babies just got admitted to the NICU and they're like, I'm glad that I'm listening to this episode, but I am going through it. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to send my love to, first of all, all the NICU parents out there. It's, you know, it's so funny because in terms of being on social media, I would say it's really interesting because I feel like what I do as a NICU nurse is actually very taboo, right? Like Mm. babies are not supposed to come and be Mm -hmm. with us in the NICU. They're not supposed to be needing all of these, you know, extra measurements of respiratory support and all of these things going on, these monitors and these wires and these tubes and the isolate and ventilator, whatever the case may be, right? So it's something for me where I feel like I tread cautiously because in terms of education, because I don't want to be too triggering to someone. And I know that this is a very sensitive time. So it's that fine line of education, balance, showing what we do, really trying to be an advocate for the NICU patient population and also parents. But I will say this, like, it's so interesting because I think it's just such a unique piece of the world. And I really don't think anything can prepare you. I think there's just this level of, you know, you obviously want parents to feel supported and educated and feel like they were prepared for the NICU. But the reality is, is I just don't think anything really can. But I will say in terms of for the parents out there, you're not alone. This is something that so many parents go through. I know for a lot of the parents that we care for, there's a lot of really great Facebook groups out there for NICU parents who are going through it. I would say with that, you know, I would go in with maybe some self-awareness, knowing you're going in not to compare your journey, but to find community just because that can kind of be a slippery slope. Like maybe it's a little too much information, but they do have some really great, great support groups out there. 
not to do a selfish plug, but over on the selfie show, we've actually had on quite a few NICU parents. So we've had two NICU dads, one of which who wrote a book called, I think it's the NICU, my preemie journey. And then we also have a dad who created an app that is getting starting in development where it's basically an app that would go on the tablet at the bedside for a baby on an iPad. And it would have like all of the information for the parents with information, you know, on the diagnosis and the medications. And yeah. just, there's a lot of things kind of starting to pop up. That one particular is called Nico board and I Nico board. Cool. So we did that with the founder. We've had two moms on who both my co-host and I were their nurses. And so Mm -hmm. we had them come on and share their journeys. They had very similar, but very different journeys. So if someone's interested in hearing those episodes, you can just DM me and I'll send them to you. But there's a lot of so many parents out there that are going through this and you're definitely not alone. It was not your fault. I know there's like the, the ultimate mom guilt, I think in, in the NICU, you know, you just have this, you know, I watch so many, I would say more moms, but it definitely can be either one of the parents, but you go through that and just know that just take a deep breath. It was not your fault. And it's sort of this crazy place where, you know, babies, NICU is very much like three steps forward, two back yeah, and yeah. one step forward and two back. And that's okay. That's the NICU journey. I would say, I just, you know, the one thing that I would really I think as a provider is to really lean into the idea of embracing your team and getting to know people, the more people, you know, the better, you know, once you kind of get to know your familiar faces and you'll get to know them, you know, really coordinating with them. And, you know, I love it when parents, I have some moms that, you know, I knew their schedule to a T like Monday through Sunday. Like I was like, okay, she has soccer practice this day. So they're not coming in until that night or, you know, they have this going on. Dad has work through the day. So we're going to make the weekends extra special or, you know, so you just try and really coordinate. So for us, it's such an interesting bond that you start to get with a lot of the parents who are specifically with us for a longer period of time. But yeah, it's definitely the NICU is such a special piece of the world. You know, it's, I think every NICU parent is like trauma bonded with other NICU parents. Like you just, you were the one who went through it and there's just, you know, it's an unspoken bond sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And it's it's a beautiful thing. I loved it. I love being a NICU nurse. Aww. I love supporting the community. Yeah. So it's it's definitely a special place. Cool. Oh, I love it. Well, I love that you know, you were the one who came on this episode since you, it's, yes, you're so passionate you about so it. so much, Lisa. It's I know. Lovely. I'm following your footsteps, girl. I'm like, Aww. oh my gosh. <laughs> well, can you remind our listeners where they can find you on social media and your podcast and all the good things? Yes, absolutely. So I'm over on Instagram. My personal account is at Nurse Tori. That's T-O-R-I underscore. The selfie show, our IG is at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore underscore podcast. For anyone who's interested in learning more about becoming a NICU nurse or would like to look into resources, I have my website, which is tipsfromtory.com. Tons of resources. I have anything from the behind the scenes of what it's like to be a NICU nurse all the way to transitioning as a new grad, all the tips and tricks. I have report sheets. We have a ton of things over there. I do have a couple blogs as well for any parents out there who are interested in potentially like looking for ways to, or gifts, if you're looking for Mm. some really great gift ideas for NICU parents. Something else I wanted to touch on for that was for anyone who's listening, who may know someone in the NICU. I, you know, cause it's such a sensitive time. Right. And you just never know, like, it's like, what do you say? What do you do? What do you say to someone who's in the NICU? Right. Like, how do you handle this? I would say for someone who knows someone or your family member, just do little things like, Hey, can I fill up your car with gas? Can I maybe start? Let me just initiate a food train, go over and watch the kids for an afternoon so they can go to the hospital and, you know, spend time with their baby. Can I you know, grab groceries. I'm going to grab your groceries for you. You know, just like these little things that I think 
any NICU parent would really love. And they just, they don't even know they need it or they do need it. And they just don't want to ask for help or they don't know how to ask for help. You know, you can just send them a little text and say, Hey, like I'm cleaning your house for the, whatever little things that help go a long way. And, and to be honest, you may not even get a response back, you know, or maybe you just, and that's okay. And, you know, every parent in the NICU just wants to be able to spend the time with their baby. And I think that just doing these little things is like, it goes such a long way, you know, and they'll share, you know, parents will share with you when they're ready. I know any NICU parent who's listening to this is, you know, I know this resonates. It's like, you don't know what to say because day to day things can change very quickly and you just don't even know what to say. One day you're saying this and then that day you're saying that. So yeah, I just think it's a very special place. So I do... I do have a couple of blogs for parents, one for how to help bond in the NICU, some extra tips there, and then some gifts for NICU as well. So yeah, I just have a big love for it. And I'm very thankful to be a NICU nurse and to share my journey. And thank you for having me on today with your amazing community. Thank you so much for joining me. This was such a great episode for, you know, our NICU moms, maybe that are listening, but also anybody who's pregnant, because like you said, it's one in 10 that are premature. And then there are a lot of other reasons that baby might have to go to NICU. So I think this is just such a great episode to tune into just in case you wind up in that special place in the NICU. Right. Well, and I, this is kind of the way I put it too, right? Like you don't get onto a plane without the what to do in case of emergency. Yes. Yes. So I think it's always just good to have like a little dabble of like, okay, this is maybe what, you know, just have an open mind. A baby's going to come when baby wants to come and you support them as much as you can. And yeah. And you're there for the journey, you know? Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tori. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Lisa. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and letting me be a part of your motherhood journey. It is truly an honor. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And I love hearing what you guys think of the podcast. So if you're liking what you hear or you have a suggestion, I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and leave me a review wherever you're listening to help more mamas just like you find the show. What do you think? Are you starting to feel a little more confident about your pregnancy and birth? Well, if you want more, be sure to head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast for today's show notes and a library of episodes so you can keep getting educated before your upcoming birth. And while you're over there, be sure to check out the blog and learn about our online birth classes. Find it all and more over at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. See you next week. Same time, same place.